Hello, good morning, possibly good afternoon or good evening to you. It is great to meet you this way. May the grace and peace of the Lord be with you and your ministry wherever you are connected from. I would like to thank President Craig Barnes and the Board of Trustees for this very meaningful award. I'm truly honored and humbled to be a recipient of this award, knowing there are so many Princeton Seminary alumni who are equally qualified and deserve to receive this award. I also thank Dr. Barnes for supporting the AAPI community in a very timely manner. To look back, I thank God for the opportunities that I have been able to serve the Lord and God's people as a theological educator and administrator. As a theological educator, I'm deeply indebted to the education I received from Princeton Seminary. It was not just the scholarship in the area of church history, but also many aspects of theological education, particularly the way Princeton Seminary respects and leads her students to grow into responsible ministers for the glory of God. In this sense, my honor today is all about the honor of Princeton Seminary. On this occasion, I would like to remember and thank those who made the great contributions to my life at Princeton Seminary and beyond. First, all my church history professors at the time, particularly Drs. Jane Dumpsey Douglas and S.N. McKee, for their untiring love and guidance in many specific ways to shape me as who I am today. I also would like to thank my friends from the PhD program. Please allow me to call out their names. It will take little time. Andrea Stroek, Amanda Berry-Willi, Cynthia Jurison, Kimberly Chastin, Liam Bandai, Haruko Wirt, Bonnie Patterson, Yang and Cheng, Craig Edward, Gary Hansen, and many, many Korean students from different programs. I miss you all and thank you all for your love and support. Now I would like to share my experiences and observations as a theological educator in Korea and Asia, which have stretched me as a minister of gospel to love and serve people in Asia. I pray my sharing today will benefit you as we all have been called to participate in the ministry to serve God's people in collaboration. The history of theological education in Korea and Asia has a very close relationship with the mission of American churches in the 19th and 20th centuries. It is well known that Princeton Seminary alone had sent out so many missionaries as a result of the mission movement particularly the student volunteer movement at the turn of the 19th century. Dr. James Moorhead says in his book, Princeton Seminary in American Religion and Culture. Do you have a quotation there? The plan of the Princeton Seminary gave as one of the purposes of institution to found a nursery for missionaries to the heathen and to search as a destitute of the stated preaching of the gospel. He further tells us 
In an address at the centennial of the seminary in 1912, Robert E. Speer, himself a one-time student at the seminary, and then a corresponding secretary of Presbyterian Board of Foreign Missions, estimated that from its founding, 1812 to 1875, the seminary sent out one out of every 18 of its students abroad. According to Spears' 1912 calculation, the percentage of students serving in foreign missions, one in 18, doubled after 1875 to one in nine. He particularly gloried in the class of 1902 with the largest percentage of its matriculated students going out to the foreign field, 13 out of 59, one out of four and a half. Despite some disparities in the number crunching, the overall conclusion is the same. Princeton Seminary experienced a significant surge in the number of foreign missionaries it sent out after 1880. The effects of American missions in the 19th and 20th centuries were well demonstrated and felt in Korea, possibly more than any other countries. American missionaries were the first Protestant missionaries to Korea, and soon they outnumbered the missionaries from any other countries. Their mission works had no boundaries, but certainly focused on evangelism itself. To strengthen and strategize Christian evangelism, American missionaries introduced school education, medicine and hospital, and various types of social service. It is well known that American Presbyterian Church was better received by Koreans than any other churches. And many believe that it had to do with three self-method introduced by an American Presbyterian missionary, John Livingston Nevius from China. John Nevius graduated Princeton Seminary in 1853. And at the same year, he left for China with his newlywed wife. After six month sea travel, he arrived at Ningpo and then spent most of his time in Shandong, China. During his ministry, he became known for his three self method of church planting. There is a self-propagation, self-governance, and self-support. With this method, he promoted Bible study, strict discipline for believers, cooperation with other Christian groups, and tried to be helpful wherever he found the needs. In 1890, Nevius was invited to explain his method to the new Presbyterian missionaries in Korea, including Samuel Austin Moffat. Samuel A. Moffat, father of our own Samuel Hugh Moffat, arrived in Korea in 1890, six months before the decisive visit of John Nevius. The seven first Presbyterian missionaries at the time in Korea were fully persuaded by Nevius and adapted the Nevius method to their flattering mission work in Korea. The results were quite extraordinary. It certainly shaped the young Korean Presbyterian church 
in the minds of leaders, its leaders, then and today now, today as well. Professor Alan Neely says, Moffat stressed the two facets of the plan, especially intensive Bible study for all believers and evangelism by all believers. Beginning in August 1890, Moffat made several excursions to the north. And three years later, he moved permanently to Pyongyang, the capital city of North Korea. Now, will the response to the gospel and the growth of the church became legendary? Later, analysis indicate a number of reasons, apart from missionary methods, that have to account for the remarkable growth of Korean Presbyterian churches during this era. But Moffat's contribution is indisputable. Self-propagation and self-governance required immediate theological education. Without trained native ministers, the church would not be evangelistic or autonomous. So Samuel A. Moffat began the Presbyterian Theological Seminary with a two-student meeting in his home in 1901. In 1907, the, the first seminary graduates, they became the first seven pastors in Korea. You have a picture there. Then the first independent Presbytery was formed under the leadership of Moffat as the first moderator. Today, there are many theological seminaries in Korea, probably more than we need just by its numbers. But once Korea, two Koreas united, you know, we will probably need more seminaries anyway. There are two kinds of seminaries. First, a seminary coexisting with a theological college, somewhat like divinity school in the US, then a seminary existing without an undergraduate program like my school, Torch Trinity Graduate University. The title Graduate University had developed only in 1996 when the Presbyterian elder Kim Young-sam became the president of the country. Korean schools directly, then and now, directly and strictly governed by the Ministry of Education in terms of accreditation including admission quarters. Before 1996, a graduate school could not stand alone as a school. So if you wanted to start a university, I mean seminary, you had to establish a college first, then you can add a seminary as a graduate school. The admission quarter, the, the number of students you can receive each year, was another concern because the number of admissions was not large enough to cover the needs of the church, which experienced enormous rapid growth in the 1970s and through, uh, through 1990s. In order to fill this gap, seminaries created two types of students, students accepted with a government recognition and students with only denominational recognition. What about small-sized denominations, which cannot afford university? So they remained as unrecognized seminary until 1996 and considered to be second-class or second-level educational institutions, although they were almost as qualified as the others 
in terms of standards and quality. Now, when you come to Korea, you find more than 50 seminaries of both kinds around Korea, more than two thirds located in Seoul and its vicinity. What about Asia? The Asian situation is quite complex. The accreditation for theological education differs from country to country. However, it is generally true the governments do not take into consideration the different nature of education we pursue. So the, the governmental standards or the accreditation standards are not so fitting to apply in theological education. So the need for alternative accreditation became demanding, especially from the countries where Christianity is a minority and under persecution. Finding qualified theological educators was another challenge. Missionaries had been theological educators in these countries. But gradually they left with the different reasons and native leaders had to fill the gap. However, we experienced two problems. First, the so-called brain drain phenomenon which means Asian leaders, Christian leaders who had studied abroad on the request of national church did not necessarily come back home. Second, Asian educators without having gone through contextual digestion of Western theological education after they studied in the West. So training theological educators in Asia became very pressing very much a pressing issue in Asia. Out of these concerns and needs, Asia Theological Association came into being uh, more than 50 years ago with a catchphrase um, of, we train Asians in Asia. It has grown to have 249 accredited schools and 130 associate member schools around Asia. And recently, and surprisingly, Asian diaspora communities around the world, including Europe and the US and Canada. They are mostly Chinese seminaries though, or the seminaries for mission to China. Having served on ATS, ATS executive board since 2007, and as a vice chairperson from 2018, I was able to observe theological education in Asia rather closely. Theological education in Asia may not be easy to generalize because of its diverse political and religious situations. However, it may be characterized as follows. A great focus on Bible education compulsory attendance to chapel and school-wide activities, strong dependency on translated theological books by Western authors, usually male authors, and keen interest in church ministry training. Schools are run by denominations, but also by missionaries or independent individuals and their family members. In any case, they are operated with a minimum cost. ATA 
has been striving to improve the quality of theological education by developing standardized accreditation manuals and procedures, value-added service like leadership training, coaching for sustainability, publications including Asia Bible commentary series, and monographs including textbooks, and also to promote fellowship and solidarity, which is very important for Asians. Lastly, what about the global pandemic? What effect does COVID-19 bring to global education in Asia? Overseas Council under the United World Mission now, which has been supporting theological education around the majority world, or the global south, south made the research to gauge the impact of COVID-19 in theological education last year. I would like to highlight just one of the results found in the report, the change of enrollment of overseas council member schools, as you see in the, uh, in the statistic, uh, the diagram there, about one third increased, one third the same and one third decreased. So as long as the online education was provided, the seminary survived, if not better. COVID-19 made online education inevitable and indispensable. And surprisingly, um, its reception was not too bad, unlike most of the initial concerns from theological educators. Commuting students feel more satisfied since they do not have to struggle and suffer everyday traffic, especially in Asian and you know, the major cities in Asia, if you ever visited uh, these cities. Students outside of town, outside the town or the out of the country feel more accessible with the online education. So, so certainly we are into a new age and we need to think a lot more about the issues involved in online theological education. Certainly there's a positive responses to online education. The first time the positive response to online theological education I ever heard was at, uh, in May 2016 at Global Forum for Theological Educators Conference held at Dortfeld near Frankfurt, Germany. I remember the strangeness and surprise when Dr. Daniel Ellisher, the then president of ATS, as Association of Theological Schools in the US and Canada, introduced the ATS permission of full online MD program for member schools. Princeton Seminary is one of the member schools. It may take some time to assess the whole effect of such a program. But without any time for this assessment, we are forced to provide the quality online theological education, which makes all theological educators chief office of content, and at the same time, chief office of technology. To conclude, the theological education in Asia lacks resources 
and therefore still depends on Western theological education to a great extent involved. And in addition, there are many complicated problems and issues to solve, such as a financial dependency, structural residentness, ownership struggle between denomination and school board, moral hazard of family owners or missionaries, and further unnecessary competitive spirit among seminaries. However, I see theological education here is dynamic and prayerful. Students are much engaged in ministries while they are learning as seminaries. And um, you know, believe that or not, you know, many groups of the students um, from my school alone, you know, praying for the school every night you know, at June prayer meeting. And further, more and more women students and second career students, they are looking for a chance to receive theological education. So we are becoming more diverse in age, gender, and experiences. So I ask for your prayers for theological educators and theological schools in Asia to be more faithful and effective during this transitional time. As Paul encourages us in Philippians 2.4, we are to look not only to our own interest, but also to the interest of others. Theological education has been now, strategic and effective opportunity to build Christian leadership, to share the gospel to the world. The gospel loved to share God's only son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your attention and God bless you.